I want to talk to you today about an a important subject. It's, a, it's, a, it's something that is just, the Lord just really burdened me this week as I was preparing. And we're going to continue in Philippians and talking about this pursuit of peace and how we find peace in our life. We want peace, don't we? Um, and yet the reality is, and we'll talk about this in the message today, the reality is as Christians, we already have the peace of God. Uh, the world does everything it can to rob that from us, but we have the peace of God in our lives, and we, we need to remember that. But today I want to talk about something that I think is maybe uh, open to us. Have, have any of you ever in here had a broken heart? Huh? Had your heart broken or crushed? Um, so I'm going to talk today about the heart, and he, he includes that in this passage of Scripture. So let's look at Philippians 4, verse 4 is where we'll begin. We'll read the entire text, 4 through 9, and, uh, and then we'll kind of review where we've been over the last few weeks and talk about then our, our subject today. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So don't just rejoice. He says, this is so important, I want to repeat it to you. Rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now, word reasonableness is the, um, could probably be better interpreted, your gentleness. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So there's two times in this text, and I think in verse 6 it is, he talks about the peace that passes all understanding. That's what we want from God. And then he closes out in this last verse, verse 9, with the final sentence. He says, practice these things, and he says, and the God of peace will be with you. We're really good at going towards the things that influence us and affect us the most. We're not so concerned with, you know, these outer things. And so we look right to the peace. We, um, we're kind of like that. I'm that way with candy bars. I could care less what's on the wrapper. I'm going for what's inside. I don't care what you wrap a Reese's peanut butter cup in, it's going to be good, amen? And so typically I will open those, throw them over the seat, and if I'm in Kathy's car, throw the wrappers over the back seat, and then I'll just devour my peanut butter cups. And we do that with Scripture sometimes. We go right for the peanut butter cup. We go right for the peace. I want God's peace in my life. God said I could have peace. He promised me peace. And yet there's the wrapping involved in this also. There's the things that God says lead us to that peace. And it's not so much that it's a one, two, three, four, we have to do these things, and if we do these things, then God will give us peace. It really is more like a wrapping. It's, it's part of the package that we cannot get what's inside until we get what's on the outside. And so in the things that we've talked about, we talked the first week about that first phrase, rejoice in the Lord always. And that's one of the wrappings of peace is that I learn to rejoice in the Lord at all times. And again, I say rejoice that I won't find peace in my life until I learn to rejoice at what God is doing in my life. I won't find true peace and serenity until I can look at life and say, wait a minute, God is in control. I have joy in my heart, which is not influenced by what's happening on the outside. That's happiness. But I have joy. I have God in my life. I have this knowledge and this assurance that no matter what I'm going through, he's going to see me through this. 
That's where joy and rejoicing comes from. And until I get a hold of that and unwrap that joy in my life, I'll never see the peace that's on the inside there. The second thing that we talked about a few weeks ago was this idea of your moderation or your gentleness. And this is one of the wrappings of peace. He says, be gentle with others or let your moderation be known to everyone. Be gentle with everyone. And I'm convinced that we will never find peace in our life if we let everything that's in our life affect us in such a way that we are harsh and cruel and outwardly aggressive to everyone around us. In other words, uh, whatever's going on in my life, it is not going to bring me peace to go home and take off my mate's head. It might feel good while you're doing it, but in prison you'll regret it. And even if you don't go to that extreme and you just go home and you let everyone else have it because you're having a bad day, you've done nothing to create peace in your life. In fact, the reality is you've probably stirred up turmoil in other places of your life, haven't you? Isn't it strange and isn't it sad how that maybe a stressful situation at work can have such an impact on us that it messes up our time with our mates, it messes up our time with our children, it messes up our fellowship with God, it just messes everything up because we've let this control us. And so he said, no matter what's going on around you, if you want the peace of God, you've got to learn to be gentle to everyone. And then he uses this phrase, the Lord is near. His return is very near. Last week, we talked about choosing prayer over anxiety. That I can sit and I can worry about things and I can fret about things, but if I want to find true peace, I've got to develop a prayer life. I've got to begin to learn to pray and pray in such a way that I can turn things over to God in full assurance and full faith that he has heard my prayer and that I trust him that he has the ability to take care of these things. And the reality is, I can't take care of them on my own, and so I have to trust God. And I won't find peace until I can do that. I can carry these burdens around with me all on my own, or I can kneel somewhere and pray and say, God, this is too much for me. God, I need you to take care of this. And aren't we so glad that he hears us? And the Bible is filled with these wonderful promises that allow us to approach the throne of grace to find help in time of need. We're told that God hears us and that that he wants to listen. He wants to move on our behalf, that if we ask anything according to his will, the Bible says he hears us. And so there's this understanding that if I would pray, but the truth is we don't pray enough, do we? We talked about what prayer is, and part of that prayer was supplication and petition, asking God for the answers I don't have, and supplication, asking him for the needs that I have, and also a big part of it was thanksgiving, being thankful for what I do have. And man, when we get a hold of that kind of prayer life, all of a sudden we begin to see peace. And so in the midst of this, he talks about peace then. In the verse that we're going to look at today, he is going to tell us about the antidote for anxiety. How do I find the answer to anxiety in my life? And then he's going to talk about thinking about good things next week, and then we'll talk about living out our faith. But in today's verse, he talks specifically about this idea of having this peace in such a way that it affects our hearts. Listen to what he says in the verse today. He says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it is beyond understanding. It's beyond comprehension. It's when we're able to see someone going through something that we know is intense, and yet we see joy in their life. And we say, how 
do they maintain that? How are they, how are they doing that? That's the peace that's beyond understanding. And he says that peace will keep our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. We've, we've lost a lot of folks over the last few years. And, and I don't want to bring up and, and open wounds. But at the same time, it's hard for us not to talk about these things. And uh, this the other week I was looking on Facebook, as we all do. In fact, sometimes we're on Facebook more than we're in God's book, aren't we? But I was looking on Facebook, and it's not all bad. There's a lot of bad on there. But it's not all bad. But a video popped up. I think Jill had filmed the video. And we were in Jean and Lola's living room. And we sat there and we sang songs and we prayed. And Jean was in his recliner over there. And in the video, you can hear him. And those of us that were there heard him. You know, one of the songs that someone said, what's your favorite song? I'll fly away. And he says, no, no, no. I don't want to sing that one yet. I'm not ready to go yet. And he was just an ornery jokester. But he was so filled with joy that night, and he had such a peace about him. And, you know, I've preached this for 30 years, and yet I watched Gene in amazement that night, and I said, this is the peace of God that passes all understanding. Because Gene knew that his days were numbered. But he had this peace. And I also watched Lola, and, you know, Lola seems so strong, and yet I know, Lola, there's those moments, aren't there? But we watch Lola, and you just see this peace about her. It doesn't mean the hurt's not there. It doesn't mean the heart's not aching, but there's a peace there. That's what he's talking about, this peace that is beyond understanding. He says, this peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So this peace that God gives us is the antidote for anxiety that attacks our hearts and our minds. And anxiety will do that in our lives. We want to be anxious and worrying and stressing. And we talked a few weeks ago about having these anxiety attacks and how fearful they are. And that's exactly why we need God's peace to come in and take care of those things. And the picture that he describes here, he says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, listen to what he says next, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's this peace that God gives us that comes alongside us and stands there as a guard. Few, well, last year we went to Oklahoma to see Beth and Kyle, and they lived, at that time they were living on the Navy. Navy. He's in the Navy, but they lived on the Air Force base there. And uh, man, when you go in that base, that's serious business. Those guys aren't just playing army. Man, we pull up to that guard shack, and that dude had two pistols, one on his hip and one down closer to his knee, and he had this machine gun, and I don't think it was semi-automatic, like everyone's worried. That thing was fully auto, and he was the guard there. And I kind of got a feeling that if I would not have stopped, I'd have found out just how powerful those weapons really were. He's there to guard. He means business. And that's what he tells us about this peace of God, is that this peace, we need it so desperately because it is the armed guard, the sentry, the protector of our hearts and our minds. And that's what I want to talk to you today. It's about this idea of the heart and the mind. The heart and the mind are very, very important. 
The body, of course, is important. It houses us, doesn't it? This is, our, this is our home while we're here in this earth, and we should probably take care of it better than I do. Um, but it is the house. But more important than this physical shell is the heart and the mind. Many times when we look in Scripture, the heart and the mind, you could interchange them. They're sort of speaking about the same thing, and yet there is a slight difference between the two. Listen to Matthew 22 and 37 when Jesus speaks about the heart and the mind. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And that was the answer to his question as to what was the greatest or most important commandment of all. What's the most important? Jesus said, guard, or not guard, worship God, love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul and all of your mind. Now, if that's the greatest commandment, how important does that make my heart, my soul, and my mind? If the most important thing I do is to love God with all of that, it's very important, isn't it? So this heart and this soul and this mind is so important. In John 4 and 24, listen to what Jesus speaks. He's speaking to a woman about worship and how people worship. And he says this, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And in my own mind, this is what I believe he's saying, that we must worship him with our heart and with our mind that the heart is the spiritual side, that's the emotional side of us, and the mind is the thinking, the thoughtful side of us. And I would suggest that today in the church, that is the biggest struggle that we face, not necessarily our church, but the church in general, is making a balance between worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Too much spirit, and all we have is an emotional outburst. We come to church and it's just all about, I feel good, I feel the Spirit, and I could feel Him moving in here, and man, it just felt wonderful, and we're not real concerned about the truth. I read a sad statistic one day this last week that said that over 70% of people, when looking for a church, the most important thing to them is the music. And I thought, how sad. I mean, I love music too. But the article went on to describe, many of them said, it wasn't so important what was being preached from the pulpit as what was being sung. That's very sad. And really the thought had crossed my mind just a week or two ago as I was doing some devotional work that we're living in a strange church age. There was a time when people knew names like Luther and Calvin and Finney and Spurgeon and even up into Billy Graham, that they knew the names of theologians and great preachers. They knew names like D.L. Moody and Billy Sunday. They knew these names. They knew Matthew Henry. And yet today in the church, if you throw out many of those names, they think maybe you're talking about the Chicago Cubs. They have no clue. But they can tell you who Chris Tomlin is and who Matt Mayer is and who Kim Walker Smith is. And, who, and I just think it's very sad that the stars of the church today are musicians and not theologians. That is what happens when we get an unhealthy balance leaning towards the feeling side. Is I don't care what I hear today. As long as I feel good while I'm there and feel good while I'm leaving, I'm great. But the problem with that is those feelings won't keep you going through the week. You will run empty by Monday or Tuesday, I promise you. The flip side of that is he says we're to worship God in spirit, with the heart, but also to worship him in truth, and that's with the mind, that's with the intellect. 
But if we go too far that way, things get really boring really fast. No one wants to come in here every Sunday and hear a sermon that includes words that we have never heard and will never understand completely. We want to understand God. We don't want to be impressed by the preacher's vocabulary. And probably the truth is, and I know this, is that the preacher could be really messing it up the way he pronounces all these things, and most people wouldn't even know it anyway. It could get really boring. And I've sat through some services like that that were extremely boring because they were all truth and no fire or no emotion. Somehow we've got to get the balance to the middle where we preach the word of God without compromise, where we preach the truth, and yet at the same time our hearts are open to worship God, that we feel the spirit of God move in our presence, where we sing praises to his name. And here's something I just jotted down in my notes, is that what we feel should be related to what we know. In other words, the more I know God, the more I love God. The more my mind is engaged in God and in the things of God, the more my heart and my emotions will be engaged in God. Kathy, just this last week, Kathy does her devotions faithfully. I don't know if anybody does devotions as faithfully as she does. And she kind of forces us all to do her devotions because part of her devotions is listening to the scripture being read. And so she'll turn her phone on and hit the, the book that she's reading and put it in her pocket. And then she walks around the house doing her chores with this English-accented guy reading scriptures out loud. And I'm sitting there trying to do mine, and I'm like, could you do your devotion somewhere else, please? But we were talking the other night, and she said, you know, I've been reading about David, King David. And she goes, that guy really messed up. And he did. And we think of that all the time. David and Bathsheba, he committed adultery. He, he fixed it so that her husband would be killed in battle. The guy messed up. And that wasn't the only time he messed up. But she said, but the more you read about David, the more you see he really had a heart for God. And in fact, that's the way the Bible describes him. It said God was looking for a man after his own heart. So this is so important that we understand that The mind and the heart go together. The more we know God, the more we'll love him. So, he says God's a spirit and we must worship him in spirit of truth. Dr. Moeller, Al Moeller, who's a big big wig in Southern Baptist and I think was president of Southern Baptist at one time and now is involved in their seminary. But Al Moeller said this, he says, The moment you say we have to abandon this theology in order to have respect of the world, the respect of the world, you end up with neither biblical orthodoxy nor the respect of the world. And what he was addressing is those in the church that said, there are certain things that we preach and that we believe that we need to stop preaching and believing because the world won't like us. And so we've got to quit preaching against this sin and that sin because the world's mad when we preach about those things. And you know what? They do get mad. But the moment that we stop preaching the truth of God's word, we're no longer in the truth side or the feel-good side because we just lose, period. So the truth is important. The heart can be aching, and it can be broken, and it can be crushed, can it? And some of you in this room know that by personal experience. In fact, I have no doubt that sitting here today, there are those of you whose hearts are just broken, and you don't know what to do. But you're here because you know that God can fix hearts. 
that God can take an old, stony, hard heart and he can replace it, the Bible says, with a heart of flesh, a soft flesh. That's the kind of God we serve. And if he can give us an entirely new heart, he can also take the brokenness and the hurt and the aching from within our hearts and he can give us healing in those things. And don't get me wrong, broken hearts are not always a bad thing. Sometimes my heart has been broken and it has led me to make changes in my life that I would have never made without a broken heart. Sometimes my heart has ached and yearned for something in the church or yearned for something in my personal life and and to the point where your heart just ached for it and caused me to move and to make changes and to take actions. And so it's not necessarily a bad thing, but we know those feelings, don't we? Maybe you've lost someone and your heart is broken and you wonder if it'll ever heal again. Maybe it's your children that you're worried about. And man, our children can cause our hearts to break and to ache and to have all sorts of feelings, can't they? Some of you have lost loved ones and you've experienced that. I, I think for us just this last year, Beth was pregnant and lost her baby. And my heart ached for her. It was broken for her. And even to this day, there are times when I will be praying for her and it just breaks my heart. But God can take that hurt and do something wonderful with it. This peace of God that we talk about today, it guards our hearts and minds. It protects them. It keeps them secure. And so we have these. Listen to what Proverbs 4.23 says about the heart. He says, keep your heart with all, all diligence or vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. How important is the heart? He says, everything in our life flows from the heart or from the mind or from the soul. The Bible tells us that we can have a troubled mind in 2 Kings, a depraved mind in 1 Timothy, a sinful mind in Romans 8, a dull mind in 2 Corinthians, a blinded mind in 2 Corinthians, and Timothy says you can also have a corrupt mind. Rick Warren, the author of The Purpose Driven Church, wrote an article, it's been seven years ago, but in the article he kind of talks about the mind and the soul and and how we can have all these things going on with our heart and our mind. And he makes a statement. He goes, the reality is when we talk about mental illness, we all suffer from mental illness. And he listed some of these very verses and saying our minds are constantly under attack from the enemy. And only God can fix that. That's why Paul talks about the renewing of our mind, that our mind must be renewed when we come to Christ. Jeremiah 17 and 9 says this, and talking about the the sickness of our hearts and our minds, he says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So even though this heart and this mind is so important, we also understand that it needs a healer. We need Jesus Christ to be the guardian of our hearts and souls. And the peace of God is the antidote for that anxiety that we feel that attacks our hearts and souls. Deuteronomy 31 and 8, and I'm going to give you some verses this morning, so jot them down and you can look them up later too. He says, Deuteronomy 31 8 says, It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. God is going before us. That's the kind of guardian that we have. And as we read that verse, think about this, that wherever you're going to be going this week, you don't know and I don't know, but whatever it is that we're going to face this week, God's already been there. 
He goes before us. God is in the middle of your Monday before you've even ended your Sunday. Isn't that good to know? Maybe there's a meeting that you're, you're dreading this week. Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday, whatever the day is, and you're thinking about that thing. Or maybe there's a a family get-together that you're stressed about. Or maybe there's a, a crisis on the horizon, and you know it's coming. It's not here yet, but you know it's coming. Well, if we look at that scripture, he says, the Lord goes before you. He's already there. He's already moving. He's already working. And he says, he will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. And then what does he say? Do not fear or be dismayed. Or in other words... Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. First Peter says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. And then with this very familiar phrase, he says, Casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Our guard, the guardian of our hearts, is this peace of God who tells us that we can take all of our anxieties and cast them on him because he cares for us. So where do we find this peace that passes all understanding? Let me give you several places. The Word of God provides us with peace. I don't think there's anything better to do when you're faced with anxiety or struggles than to pick up God's Word and begin reading You might want to be careful about where you select to read. Generally, Psalms will be safe for you. But there's something about that. When you begin to read, as I read even opening the service today, where David says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And all these things are going on, and I don't feel like you're listening to me. And then he says, yet you are holy, and you live in the praises of your people. But we don't spend enough time in God's Word to experience that peace sadly. Here's what Psalms 85 and 8 says. He says, let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. You know, he's crying out. In our words, he's saying, let me hear what the word of God is, because he will speak peace to his people, to the saints. And then he adds this phrase, but let them not turn back to folly. And I can't help but think of James where he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. We find peace in God's word. It may be that you take your your smartphone and like Kathy does and, and hit play and drive everyone in the house bonkers with it, but you're listening to God's word and there's something about that that just brings peace to you. It might be as Sister Nita does. She, she goes home and turns on Jimmy Swagger and listens to him sing and preach, but she's getting the Word of God. And that brings peace to us. It might be a Bible study that you're involved in. God's Word is a source of peace for us. Let me ask you this. How much time are you spending in the Word? And how much anxiety do you have in your life? There's probably a relationship between the two more than likely. Secondly, Jesus Christ and salvation provide us with peace. As believers, we already have peace with God, and this world does its very best to rob us of that peace that God provides. Listen to what Romans says, Paul speaking. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, in other words, we've received Christ, we've become Christians, we've been made right with God, by our faith. He says, therefore, because of that, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. As believers, 
It's there. We already have peace of God. And yet we still struggle sometimes with anxiety, don't we? That should be evidence to us that the devil is at work in our lives trying to take our eyes off of God. The Holy Spirit is a source of peace, the comforter. He is a source of peace. Jesus said this in John 14, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I have said to you. He promises them that when Jesus leaves, he says, the Father's going to send the Holy Spirit. And we'll receive the Holy Spirit and he'll be with us all the time. I don't carry Jesus around with me all the time. I carry the Holy Spirit with me all the time. You know, that Jesus is in heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's preparing a place for me. The Holy Spirit, who is another just like Jesus, he is God also. He's with me. And I think sometimes we put Baptists on the church and we put the Holy Spirit on the street. The Holy Spirit lives in us. So he says, he'll do these things. And then listen to what he says. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So he just said, I'm leaving, but I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit who will be with you all the time. And it's almost like he says, and just let me put it another way, I'm leaving peace with you. And it's a peace far different from what the world offers you. And then he closes by saying, let not your hearts be troubled. Don't be filled with anxiety because the Holy Spirit is with you. And finally, staying focused on Jesus provides us with peace. Man, nothing will zap the peace from you and open your heart and your mind up to being broken and hurt and damaged more than taking your eyes off of Jesus. Stay focused on Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. Sometimes I think spiritually we're like that guy walking down the road and a pretty girl walks by and he turns to stare and walks into the fence post. And we're off following God and something in this world catches our attention and we look the other way and we hit square onto some trouble. Anxiety comes into our lives. Listen to what Isaiah said about being focused on Christ. He said, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord is an everlasting rock. We have peace that protects our hearts and minds when we stay focused on Christ. And it's an interesting relationship here because he tells us to take our hearts and our minds and to focus them on Jesus. And at the same time, he says Jesus takes and he protects our hearts and minds. It's this inner working that goes on with us. But our troubles and our trials have a way, don't they, of hiding our view of God. God's never gone. He's always there. But isn't it strange how sometimes we don't feel like he's there? We can read the scripture and say, well, he said he'd never leave me nor forsake me. But why do I feel like I'm going through this all alone? On August 21st this year, something interesting is happening. I plan on having my camera gear out and ready to go. It will be a solar eclipse. It'll be the first one supposedly like this in 26 years. And the interesting thing is I was reading and they said that people from all over the world are flying to certain places so that they can watch this thing. 
I saw an article, and I can't remember where it was. It was one of the major newspapers that compared the solar eclipse and its path that it would take. For those, we won't get a full eclipse here. I think we'll get a partial. But there's a path across the country where you can go and you can watch the full eclipse. And this article was saying that it's unfair because that path follows and every county that voted for Donald Trump gets to see the full eclipse. I'd say that's some sour grapes right there. I don't think the Russians have the ability to kind of steer the solar eclipse through Trump's territory. Just a coincidence. But this eclipse is an amazing thing. Space.com has all kinds of cool stuff on it. But here's what it said. It said a total solar eclipse occurs when the disk of the moon appears to completely cover the disk of the sun in the sky. The fact that total solar eclipse occur at all is a quirk of cosmic geometry. The moon orbits an average of 239 miles from Earth, just the right distance to seem the same size in the sky as the much larger sun. However, these heavenly bodies line up only about once every 18 months. And really what he's telling us is, and we know this, don't we? The sun is enormous. The moon, not so much. But on August 21st, that moon is going to completely cover the sun, and it will seem like it is just as big as the sun. And I couldn't help but think of that this week when I was thinking of anxiety and troubles and struggles and our lack of peace, is that many times our struggles and anxieties and troubles, they seem like they're as big as God. But they're not. We have to always remember that the God who says, I will give you peace and I will protect your heart and your mind is greater than any of our trials. Maybe you're going through a little solar eclipse right now in your heart and your trials and struggles have obscured your vision of God. And it's time that you come back to this idea of, I have to stay focused on God. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed or focused on me. Let's stand. Dear God, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for your word. And God, I thank you for Paul's message to the Philippian church and how it impacts our lives.